Um, hey, today we're stepping into our 2022 Advent series, uh, which for me is an exciting thing. Uh, you may not know this about me. I, I presume if you've been with us at Gospel Church for a little while, you do, but I am a seasonal Christmassy person. I was this close to wearing my Christmas shirt this morning, but I thought that there might be a riot doing so in November. Uh, it has, it has, it's like, you know, the, the understand the concept of an ugly Christmas jumper, right? It's that as a short sleeve button up shirt. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I'm getting distracted. So uh, we're entering this series called The Wait Is Over. And in this series, we're going to look at the coming of Jesus into the world in three parts. Um, that Jesus came, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas primarily, right? That the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, came down to save us and dwelt with us. That Jesus is still coming into the world. That is not in the sense that he isn't here yet and he's coming, he's going to get here soon, but that Jesus is coming to his people and into this world today. This is perhaps the one we're least familiar with, and we're going to get to it, but he is present among his people. He is coming into the hearts of the lost. He is leading and transforming and dwelling in his church. And so in a very real sense today, here and now, Jesus still comes. And finally, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus will come again. We will see him. The day of the Lord is coming when he will visibly return. The curtains of history will peel back and reveal that, that, that he is king over all. And as he returns, he will bring the consummation of the saving work that he started in his first coming. And he will justly judge the living and the dead and he will reign forevermore and his people will reign with him. And we're doing this not just because this is kind of what you do at Christmas. I mean, in one sense, yeah, like we don't need more of an excuse to do it, but we want to be a fully Jesus-focused people at Gospel Church. You know, focused on the fact that Jesus did come and that in his first coming, he did the work to save us, to save his people everywhere. Focused on the reality that he is with us here and now and active in this world. Focused on the certainty that he is coming again to lead his people home. If you were looking for uh, a period in our church when you could invite someone, when, when they might come along and hear a clear gospel message, I hope you know that at Gospel Church we try and make that kind of every week in a way. But particularly perhaps across this Christmas season, this is a great time to do that. We put the gospel just front and centre in everything we try to, but at Christmas we, we really load it up there. Uh, and I, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps the way to put it is that we, we're going to put an evangelistic weight on it across this Christmas season uh, in these coming weeks as we look at the comings of Jesus into the world. But today... Perhaps there shouldn't be a but at the end of that. But today, we're going to focus ourselves in on an element of the gospel story which is often neglected, the waiting. If our series is called The Wait Is Over, which it is, uh, then you could say that it's kind of broken into two parts. Uh, this week 
is the first part. It's called the wait. And, and then uh, the next three weeks are called is over. Um, why, why would we do this, though? Why, why would we focus on the waiting? What's important about that? And the short answer, which will pan out as we go along, is that the wait, the waiting, gives us a sense of the weight, the W-E-I-G-H-T, the heaviness, the enormity of the coming of Jesus. The, the history-spanning significance of this moment when God's Son comes down into the world to save. So today is going to be a little different to our normal sermons here at Gospel Church. Today, we are setting ourselves up for the coming of Jesus. And yet, at the same time, when we talk about the waiting for the first coming of Jesus, there is still something very relatable in that for us who wait for his second coming, isn't there? And just, just to be clear, there's something we're not going to do today. What we're not going to do today is answer the question, why did God wait so long to send his son into the world? Why after thousands of years? Why not right away, you know, Adam, Eve, Jesus, you know? Um, and it's a boom, done. Uh, nice and simple. Uh, and the reason, quite simply, is that I don't think the Bible gives us that answer. Not clearly. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that we could say about how God had used the millennia to bring about a world where the gospel could go out, where it could be received, or how it was the perfect time for the gospel to go out with the universal use in the whole Roman Empire of the Greek language and the sudden advent of actual proper roads and things like that. But, but in the end, ultimately... It's a question, I think, that we have to admit we don't know the full answer to. But it's okay. We know the one who knows the answer to it. We know Jesus, and we know that he and his plan can be trusted. So, now, uh, contrary to advertising, this was an intentional thing going from Malachi to the Christmas series, by the way. Um, but uh, up to last week, we were looking at that last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the kind of close of the Old Testament. And, and Malachi, although in many ways being a, a book of rebuke and a, a, toward a lethargic and apathetic people in, in Israel there, it, it's also this book filled with the hope of the coming of Jesus. And so we saw words like, like the sunrise shall visit you from on high with healing in his wings. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I mean... You kind of get the sense, getting to the end of the Malachi, that maybe the next day Jesus came, right? Um, you, you, I mean, the Bible, the way we lay out our Bibles helps us with that, right? You get to the end of Malachi and you, you, you flick the page and boom, Jesus! It's the, it's the genealogy in Matthew. Um, and <laughs> perhaps, um, Perhaps if we'd gone to our first message in this series on the, on the coming of Jesus into the world, we might have even reinforced that impression. But in reality, in the way that history panned out, 400 years pass between those two pages in our Bibles. 400 years of waiting without a prophetic word from the Lord. You'll notice there's, there's nothing in the canon of Scripture between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years before the Lord himself would come down. 400 years in which faithful people were born, grew up, 
grew old, waiting, you know, died waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. 400 years is a bit hard for us to grasp, right? Like, raise your hand if you're 400 years old. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not putting my hand up, sorry. But um, it's, it's a long time, right? Let me give you it this way. If you went back from us right now, 250 to 300 years, you're at the advent of the steam engine. Right? Raise your hand if you've used a steam engine this week. No, because they're long gone, right? Like, like we use them because we're interested in them when we go to the Pitchy Richie Railway up at Corn, right? And that, that's our experience of the steam engine. <laughs> Uh, you'd be in the time when the USA was fighting for independence from the British. That was a while back. You'd be in the time when old Captain James Cook was first sighting Australia. The first English person to sight Australia. <laughs> okay, I thought they were Dutch before then. <laughs> Shush! Now! <laughs> 16-something, 400 years. There you go. Australia first sighted roughly 400 years before today, according to Rick Cook. You can check his history afterwards. Apparently, mine's wrong. Because all those other things, that was only 300 years, right? We've got another 100 years to go. In the 400 years of waiting, uh, Israel would be under the domination of not one, but three of the most recognisable empires in all of history. You had, you had the Persians followed by kind of the Greeks, it depends who you talk to, uh, and then by the Romans, uh, by the time that, that Jesus comes around. And, and revolutions would rise and fall. The new temple, you remember how they just build a new temple and, and Malachi talks about the new temple? The new temple will be leveled and then it'll take 40 years later on to build another temple. That's gonna happen in between. Lots happens in this interim period. And all this time, God's people waited for him to fulfill his promises. And actually, the waiting goes back a lot further even than that 400 years, doesn't it? For all of history, God was working toward that one moment when his son would come down to save us. And so for all of history, a faithful people have been waiting for that day. In Hebrews 11, I nearly went with a Bible reading this week. I nearly got us to just read out the whole of Hebrews 11, but it's a, it's a chunky little chapter of the Bible. In Hebrews 11, we get a list of faithful saints in the Old Testament. It begins with Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, uh, and works its way down through history, through Noah, through Abraham, through Sarah, and the patriarchs, through Moses and the judges, and Samuel, who's sort of a judge, sort of a prophet, and, and David and the prophets, and, and at the, every step in Hebrews 11, it reinforces these people all had faith. And they all did incredible things because of their faith. By faith, they did these things. That God's plan was working out and he could be trusted. They had faith in him. They built the ark. They defied Pharaoh. They crossed the Red Sea. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And it actually goes on and on and on. But, you know, I said I wasn't going to read the whole chapter today. Uh, but all of this was done through faith in God. And yet at the end of this list of these incredible, faithful Old Testament saints, the author says this incredible thing. 
about these incredible people who did incredible things and saw amazing times. Have you ever wished that you could have been there when the Red Sea was parted, right? How cool would that be? I mean, aside from the fact that you're being chased by Pharaoh and his army, sure, okay, at the time it would have been pretty unnerving as well and, and we probably would have complained just as much as them, but, but like, have you ever, ever wished you could have been there in the days of David? I think Goliath goes down, right? And, and yet, at the end, the author of Hebrews says this about all of those people in all of those times. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. For we who live on our side of the cross in history, we are in the time of ultimate fulfillment. Perhaps, perhaps ultimate's not the right word. The time of fulfillment. All of the promises given to the Old Testament saints, they reach these partial fulfillments until he came. And so they waited and they trusted for thousands of years. Why labour this? You know, like, literally, I could have got off at the start of next week's message and gone, you know, there was thousands of years waiting before this and then Jesus came into the world. And we'll focus on that for the rest of the message, right? Why, why labour it? Why hunker down here today? Two reasons. One, and I'm, I'm going to finish with these two reasons, by the way. That might give you a false sense of security. I'm sorry. Um, one, there's a connection between the waiting of the, for the first coming of Jesus, for those saints in the Old Testament, and our waiting for his second coming today. As we, as we come up towards Christmas this year, and we, we wait for the day of celebration, you know, Advent means arrival, and we're waiting for that, that moment of arrival, right, where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the world at Christmas. But we remind ourselves in this season that we long for a greater day that is to come. Old Testament believers longed for the day when the Messiah would come to deliver them. They longed for God to deliver them from the tyranny of worldly governments and from the sinfulness of corrupted people. On our side of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, knowing that his work is finished that he carried our sin, that he carried our brokenness, and that he rose victorious from the grave, defeating our death, right? Knowing that his spirit is in us now, we long for the day that he comes again to finish it. We wait for the day when we see him again face to face. Don't, don't we? Don't we long for that day? when Jesus comes to finish it up, or rather, not to finish it, but to begin it, to begin a new heavens and a new earth, to renew the world, make everything new, to wash away the old. Don't, don't you long for that day in your own heart when, when, when the old sinful self is gone and, and you, in every regard, become who you were made to be? 
the resurrection life that dwells in you right now explodes outwards and you become what John says in his gospel, what we will be, we don't know, but when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Not in his gospel, in his letter. We should long for that day. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you live as a child of a coming day. We've looked at this over the last weeks. You live knowing that this is not how it was meant to be or made to be. And this is not how it will be when Jesus comes back. There is a brokenness in the world that will be washed away. So like them, we wait. Yet, like them, but a bit unlike them, we, our waiting is to be not inactive. It's to be active. Like them, we might wait another 400 years. We might wait another 2,000 years. I don't know, it might be next Tuesday. But like them, we're called to be faithful in the waiting. It's amazing how many of the parables of Jesus, especially kind of around the middle of Luke's gospel, you get this chunk of parables, and Jesus focuses so often in them on this basic point, be ready for my coming again. To pick one, um, here, Come with me here to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there, there is a stack of them back here. Or you can just listen if you want. Luke 12, from verse 35. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I love that language. Be dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Because for those who are ready in the waiting, we will be blessed in his returning. How? How do we be ready? You be ready by seeking to live a gospel-shaped life today, a gospel-formed life today. We say this fairly often here at Gospel Church. It's literally in our name. Um, real faith isn't about having a checklist of beliefs, about being able to say, yeah, well, I, I believe in substitutionary atonement. Um, it is important to believe in that. Real faith is about embodied beliefs. 
John Calvin. John Calvin's famous for a whole bunch of things, and, and, and some people love him and some people hate him, but he, he wrote an awful lot of good stuff, and he did an awful lot of good stuff. And he said this, he said, true doctrine is not a matter of the tongue, but of the life. Neither is Christian doctrine grasped only by the intellect and the memory as truth is grasped in other fields of study. Rather, doctrine is rightly received when it takes, when it takes possession of the entire soul and finds a dwelling place and shelter in the most intimate affections of the heart. The life, the soul, and the affections of your heart. That's what belief looks like. Being ready looks like faithfully seeking to live out relationship with God today. Ask yourself honestly, does that take a front foot in your life? Does that take priority? Is that the thing that, you, that you're saying? You know, we, we got people here who are you know, kids, literal kids. And we got parents and we've got workers and we've got retirees. And, and at every stage in our lives, God is asking us this question is, he invites you into relationship with him and to live that out. Is that what takes priority in your life? At every stage in life, you're going to have other things that you could be doing that seem lovely, that seem like they could be so good for your life right now. But is relationship with him what comes at the top of the list? It's what we need the very, very most. Are we faithfully seeking, I'm going to give him a sec, harvest day. Eh? Are we faithfully seeking to be changed by the gospel today? Are we expressing the freedom of the gospel by being active in repenting over our sin? By being like our saviour in showing love for brothers and sisters, these people around you right here by showing love for neighbours and for strangers, even love for enemies, because Jesus is the one who loved us when we were his enemies. Now in Luke, Jesus says, um, Luke 6, Love your enemies and do good. And lend without expecting anything in return. And you will be blessed at his returning. And you will be sons of the Most High. What that means is you're following after the Son of the Most High. You're a disciple of Jesus. Because he is kind to those who are ungrateful and the evil. That's us. He's kind to us. And we're called to live out his kindness to others, to show the world what he's like. That's how we're ready for his coming. Do we faithfully carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus, our Saviour, out with us into the world? That's what it looks like to be ready at his coming. Faithful in relationship with him, faithfully being transformed by the gospel, faithfully carrying out the gospel to the world around us. I said two reasons. That was the first one, believe it or not. Second reason that we're focusing on the waiting today. 
Do you know the, the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem? We sing a line in that that is this... I, Christmas carols are these amazing things, aren't they? Because, like, you sing them your entire life. If, if you've been around Christmas services your entire life, you sing them your entire life. And, and for me, I've been singing these songs my entire life, and yet I'm, I'm kind of still realising how profound they are. <laughs> It is this stuff that I've just been kind of glossing over going, this is a lovely song. Like the O Come All Ye Faithful, right? Like come and adore him. And you're like, oh, this isn't just a baby in a manger. This is Christ the Lord. And in a little town of Bethlehem, we get this fantastically profound line. The, the, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All of those years of waiting are there for a reason. All of the hope for all of the world is found in Jesus. All of the promises given in the Old Testament. Like we saw in Hebrews, right? They were not, they didn't reach their full fulfillment. They were partially fulfilled except in the coming of Jesus. From the moment that God tells Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent to the promises to Abraham that through his family, all of the families of the earth would be blessed to the promise to David that his righteous descendant would sit on the throne forever to innumerable other promises. The weight of promises in the Old Testament, the hopes and fears of all of the years are met in Jesus I want us to have this grand view of the gospel at Gospel Church. Jesus isn't the next thing God did because the other things hadn't worked out. The kind of, gosh, well, that didn't go that well with Israel. Let's, let's try a Jesus, I guess. Like, no, J Jesus, Paul writes, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. God has been working a single plan for all of history and at the very centre of that plan with effects that span from the very beginning of history up to it and from the very end of history back to it. There is a baby in a manger, a man on a cross and an empty tomb because he sent Christ the Lord into the world. There is nothing more important in all of history than Jesus. The waiting gives us the weight of that truth. There is no more important question for us than how you have responded to Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps you've been waiting for the day that God will make himself known to you. Jesus is the answer to your waiting. The wait is over. Receive the good news that all of history before it longed for and all of history after it looked back to receive the grace of God in Jesus, which overcomes your sin and brokenness and your separation from God. Receive Christ and believe. Would you, people, would you pray with me now? Jesus, we thank you for your coming. That all of the hopes of all of the promises that came before you all led up to that day. All led up to you coming. Lord, as we, 
as we understand something, a small fraction of the waiting, we understand that you would help us to, uh, we, we ask that you would help us to grasp the weight of your coming. Make, make us a people, Lord, active in our waiting. Lead us to wait well. Spirit, would you lead us to dive into relationship with God? Show us that these Bibles we hold are not just dry old words, but are the words of eternal life given to us. Lead us to pray. Lead us to listen. Lead us to be transformed by the gospel, to be shaped to be like Jesus. Lead us to give all of our lives for that end, that we might know you more. Lead us, Lord, to, to carry that transformation in love for one another and love for others and love for the world. Love even for those who are enemies. Lord, I pray for everyone here who has someone in their life who is opposing them, that they would be able to show that person Christ-like love. And that that would baffle that person until they know the Christ who sent that love into the world. Make us a people who carry out your good news faithfully. Knowing that this is the good news by which ungrateful and evil people like us have been changed. And Lord, for anyone here who does not know you. Who has not believed. We pray that today would be the day. They would be able to turn and just say to you, Lord, I've been far from you, but I trust in Jesus now. I want you to be my Lord. Wash away my brokenness and sin by your cross. Save me, Lord, and let me be one of yours, a child of the day of Jesus' coming. We pray it all in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.